I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome back to the World Soccer Talk podcast. This week, our thoughts on the differences between ESPN, CBS, and Fox's coverage of Team USA, why fans of Premier League teams will experience big changes this February, who has the best transfer deadline day coverage, can B in sports do better with their AFCON coverage, finally, we share our recommendations of what to watch this weekend. On the panel today, we have Kartik Krishnayar. My name is Christopher Harris. Uh, for any listeners who haven't had a chance to uh, check out this podcast before, uh, we've been running now for like, I think, 16 years con- uh, consecutively. Uh, the longest running soccer podcast in the world. Uh, the latest iteration, every Thursday, we have this episode that focuses on the soccer TV and streaming coverage of our favorite sports. And, and also sometimes talking about the commentators, production um, and answering questions from you, the listeners. So, Kartik, we're recording this on Thursday. I think uh, there's a huge sigh of relief from a lot of uh, U.S. soccer fans. Not that everything is perfect by any means, but um, but after USA's win against Honduras on Wednesday night in the World Cup qualifier, who do you think is breathing the biggest sigh, sigh of relief today? Is it U.S. soccer because it means that the U.S. has a better chance to qualify for the World Cup and it, it'll help them get a bigger TV deal this year as the U.S. Uh, media rights are up? Or is it Fox soccer because it means that they, there may be a U.S. team uh, in its coverage of Qatar 2022? So, Kartik, who is uh, breathing the biggest sigh of relief today? I don't know because I don't I don't share everyone's pessimism and analysis about the USMNT. I, first off, I think they're playing at their level, maybe a little punching a little bit above their weight, in my opinion. Uh, I would expect to lose to Canada. Granted, Ostasio and da- Davies were not playing for Canada. Arguably, they're two best players, but Canada's a better team than the U.S. I've said this for months now. Canada's first eleven is better than the U.S.'s first eleven. That match was away. The U.S. took care of their two home matches. This this uh, window. Uh, and so I don't know why everyone is acting like, oh, they may not qualify. The, 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 the warning signs that we've, we saw in the last qualifying cycle, we have not seen yet this time. 
Okay. Uh, include, include, no, 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 no. Look, I, 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 and I'm someone who's very critical of the Federation, and I'm someone who I think is pretty realistic about the U.S. team in general, the U.S. men's team. I, we have not seen the home loss to Mexico. We haven't seen a 4-0 tonking away from home like we did last time. Uh, we haven't seen all of these kind of shaky uh, performances where you're just uh, um, – Grinding out results against or grind, you know, trying to salvage draws against inferior teams. We did see that, I guess, maybe the first match in San Salvador. Since then, I don't agree with the with the pessimists at all. I think away to Panama is a difficult match. I think Canada is better than the United States. I think they're better than Mexico. I know that historic reputation seems to factor in everyone's analysis. But just look at their first eleven. Don't tell me that that that's not the best first eleven you've seen in Concacaf in recent years. So. Right. I, yeah. I don't. I don't agree with the pessimism. I think the U.S. is fine. Yeah, U.S. soccer is breathing a sigh of relief, and Fox is breathing a sigh of relief. But I, I don't think qualification, particularly when the fourth place Concacaf team avoided Comnibal, which surprised me uh, in the draw, um, the FIFA draw. I, I don't think qualification is really in question. I think it's 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 essentially a done deal. It's just getting over the line at some point, which will happen in the next window. Well, that's the thing, though, too, is Canada aside, yes, Canada is definitely the best team uh, in the uh, North America or in, in CONCACAF without any shadow of a doubt right now. Absolutely. But going into this game against Honduras and, and even I mean, after the Canada defeat, um, the manner of defeat uh, and then the manner of the win against Honduras, Honduras is not a good side. Uh, but, I mean, the level of optimism in this team is is pretty low. I mean, yes. So if you if you talk <laughs> to a, a lot of kind of USMNT fans, they're kind of kind of high on this team in terms of this is a, a golden generation. This is this is <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is world yeah. beaters. Right. And golden generation was a term that came up again and again from CBS in their coverage. But um, <laughs> so we're, we're dealing with different expectations. Yeah. I mean, to me, where sure. I see this US team is is they have potential. There's no guarantee that they're going to qualify in this next round of games at the end of March. They go to Mexico and play Mexico. They play Costa Rica uh, and then they play away and then they play Panama at home. Going into those games, my level of confidence is, I don't know, probably a 50-50 that they'll, they'll get through those games and get the results. So qualification is still a question mark. There's no guarantee. Last night's victory does help them a, a huge amount. But even if they do qualify for the World Cup, I don't think this is a team that's going to go that far. So, you mean, so again, we're dealing with different expectations, but I, I think this U.S. squad has been highly overrated. And in, the, yeah. in these last few games, we've seen kind of uh, what they are. But is that their fault? That's the fault of the media. That's the fault of the fans. That's the fault of the YouTubers. I mean, people think I hate Christian Pulisic and I have some anti-Pulisic agenda. I actually have come to the point where I feel bad for the guy because all I've been for the last four years is objective about him. Watching him at Dortmund, watching him at Chelsea, seeing very obvious flaws in his game that most football analysts would pick up on if they were objective that coaches have picked up on. Quite frankly, his coaches have picked on. I think I uh, have picked up on. I think the expectation, the burden placed on this guy is that he needs to be a combination of George Washington and Lionel Messi and Pele. And if he falls short of that, then, oh, well, it's bench him. The guy's terrible. You know, he, he's a waste. So uh, I think it's it, the expectations are way out of whack. Based on where I think the U.S. should be with a, a, a pool of talent that, yes, they're at big clubs, but none of them are playing critical roles at big clubs with the exception of Weston McKinney, uh, with a, a group of talent that's still very young and 
and we know uh, especially at the club level, but also at the national team level, young sides tend to hit a wall. Hence why um, as much of a great job as Mikel Arteta has done with Arsenal, you're relying on young players. You're not going to get into that top four. Same thing a couple of seasons ago with Leicester. I had cautioned that the whole season when they were sitting second or third, that Rodgers, with the exception of Vardy, was excessively reliant on young players at that point. Uh, Vardy and Johnny Evans were the two exceptions. They fell out of the top four. It's tough to develop that consistency with without a veteran presence, without veteran players. There are no veteran leaders in this team. There's no Michael Bradley. There's no Timmy Ream, uh, who unfortunately had a, a tragedy to deal with. We saw that on TV this past weekend, right, at, at Fulham. Um, so I, I – they're performing probably above where I thought they would. I thought they'd struggle to finish above Mexico. I thought uh, Panama and Costa Rica could give the U.S. a, a, a real run in qualifying. That hasn't happened yet. So I, I'm I'm pleased with where they are, given the – and if you had told me Gio Reyna was going to miss every qualifier before qualifying. He's missed all 12 qualifiers thus far, or all 11 qualifiers. Um, I, uh, I think they're in pretty good shape. I thought the U.S. looked better on Wednesday night, um, starting Walker Zimmerman and then without Christian Pulisic starting. And I think that's part of it, too, is that, um, you mean, kind of the pressure on this team and the expectations on this team is that uh, it could be argued that Greg Berhalter didn't live up to kind of that level in terms of some of the team selections, some of uh, some strange lineup choices and uh, really kind of not fielding Ricardo Pepe starting him until last night. So... Question marks about him, him too. Uh, well, well I think games. the big question is um, we see in club football there's a move away from using pure number nines. Uh, and, and look, just look at Manchester City for, for, for evidence about that. I think um, Burhalter, and I, I said this the other day on, on a space I was on, and, and a lot of people agreed with me. Actually, I think someone else brought it up and I commented. Burhalter seems to have that preference where he wants someone who's quick or, or, or effectively a winger playing as a number nine. Hence, Pepe not starting. Hence, Sargent not being called in. Hence, Daryl DK never being called in. So maybe it's, it's his tactical mindset and copying Pep, you know, this is the, where, where the game is going, false nines, etc. But yeah, I agree with you. It's a mistake, but I think it's probably down to the manager's ideology why Pepe's not being chosen uh, until last night. Yeah, but we talked about this before too when Berhalter was first signed, uh, announced as, as US coach, and he seemed to have a platform that he wanted uh, this team to play under. And then the first few games that they played under... It was all. They were all over the place. It was really poor performances. Uh, this is going back well, a couple of years ago now. And finally, I think in a crucial game, it might have been against Mexico. He kind of threw that out the window and said, "Okay, let's kind of focus on uh, just winning the game." And and then since then, that seems to be the motto for the most part. And and it has been for the most part very effective. Uh, up until the Canada game with two, where it kind of really kind of exposed some of the weakness, weaknesses in this team. But DK DK's injured. He's he's going to be out for the next uh, two months. Yeah. Um, this U.S. men's national team is is not a Manchester City kind of a, a Guardiola esque uh, team. And I think I think they needed a number nine. I think they need a, a target up up top, um, especially the U.S. I mean, thank God, finally got some goals from set plays. But this is a team that in even in the past has relied a lot on set plays to beat Too Mexico. Much. Right. Too much. But you yeah. also you you need somebody in the box, and Weston McKinney's stepped up, um, almost scored against Canada from a corner, and then scored that first goal against Honduras. So, but again, one- he's the only he's the only sorry sorry to jump in, Chris, but he's the only U.S. player I know. Again, we talk about uh, or 
not not me, but others talk about this golden generation. Pulisic uh, won the Champions League, and Dest is at Barcelona, etc., uh, etc. Et McKitty is the only guy playing a critical role week in and week out for a top team, a team that's fighting near the top of the table in their league. Okay, the other guys are basically fringe guys, role guys, which is fine, but they're not the guys who have the responsibility of carrying a team. And I think this is something a lot of these newer U.S. fans don't understand. When Clint Dempsey and Brian McBride played for Fulham, they had to carry that team. They had to carry that team over the line and prevent re- them from being relegated. Same thing uh, the year Eddie Lewis was phenomenal at Leeds, and, and that translated to the national team. He tried to he he had to push Leeds towards promotion. They didn't get promotion, but he had to partly carry that team. Right now, the U.S. outside of McKinney doesn't have guys who are responsible who have that level of responsibility at their club teams, and I think ultimately that reflects in the lack of leadership and kind of the lack of responsibility on the pitch. And again, it's not these guys' faults. It's the faults of the people who've over, oversold them. But maybe you have to call Tim Ream or Michael Bradley back into the team just to provide that leadership in the dressing room, on the bus, in the hotel, etc., whether they play or not. Yeah, Tim Ream, Tim Ream, maybe Michael Bradley. I think there would be like a just a riot if that yeah. happened. Right but, by the same people who don't seem to appreciate. Uh, well, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. But there one more be, thing though. to add to that though, too, is uh, um, uh, Amada Traore, who's been signed by Barcelona, um, which is he's probably likely going to go into um, play in uh, Sergio Dest's, Dest's position. So Dest may not get that much playing time for Barcelona for the rest of the season, depending on what happens there. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a lot of question marks. If you put Traore and Pulisic together, you'd probably have the best player in the world because Traore is a guy that has zero end product, but has this spectacular ability to beat beat players one on one off the dribble, which Pulisic can do also. But um, Pulisic is a is a really good finisher. Uh, but Pulisic, my my concerns about him have been, you know, his lack of uh, read and recognition. Right, he's a, se- a second slow on the ball at Chelsea, uh, at Dortmund. Oftentimes, he he would he would make the wrong run at the wrong time. Actually, that's kind of continued at Chelsea to a certain extent. So, uh, yeah, well, Traore, I guess, is going to replace Des there, which, uh, look, I, I'm uh, I, I'm a guy who thinks Traore is really overrated and has no end product, so maybe there's a way back for Des after that. Maybe he could push, push, push him and get back into that team. So the reason, listeners, we, we talk about this too is because all of this feeds into the television coverage. And last week's podcast, we talked about ESPN and, and kind of the strengths and weaknesses of their broadcast of the El Salvador game. Uh, we said a lot on last week's podcast about what our expectations were from CBS Sports for the game against Canada. And it was interesting to watch CBS's sports' coverage um, on Paramount Plus because pre-match it was uh, once they found out what the, the team news was, it was very positive. It was very kind of enthusiastic. It was like, yeah, yeah, J- uh, Jesse Zardes. Yeah, sure. Why not? Like he's he's uh, he's shown before that uh, he has some flashes of brilliance and he can be that player. Halftime. <laughs> it was halftime. It was a completely different uh, situation. A halftime uh, with the U.S. looking, I mean, shell shocked, really. Uh, it was a very critical. It was, which is good. It was just good to see. And it was, you mean, whether it was Charlie Davis or um, uh, Aguchi Onoeu or Clint Dempsey, all of them kind of just saying like, uh, saying critical things in terms of uh, whether in particular players or we in general, kind of talking about like we need to be more aggressive, we need to challenge more uh, for those fifty-fifty balls. I can't believe we made that mistake on the goal kick. Those types of things. The one thing I would say though too was that. They seem to be all over the place. 
there wasn't really some really really great analysis where you're like wow okay that's a fantastic point maybe we should kind of uh change the the, the shape of the team in the second half maybe Berhalta should start thinking about maybe playing three at the back or or maybe it's uh you know, let's take Pulisic out and put somebody else in um it was critical but but without being kind of taking it to the next level so a little bit disappointing there in terms of CBS's coverage um Carter, did you get a chance to watch any of the CBS coverage uh, no, I didn't. But I, I got to watch Fox's coverage on Wednesday, which was, uh, uh, <laughs> which I, I, I look. I, well, I, wait, wait, wait. Before, just, just, to, just before we get into that, one more point about CBS's coverage is the reason I thought I think it, it can be improved. It was better, but um, post match. Uh, Kate Abdo was asking all the right questions. So Kate's doing a good job of of asking the leading questions and then expecting the analyst to step up and, and give a really good answer. And she asks Clint Dempsey, she says, why is the U.S. unable to maintain a consistently strong performance over 90 minutes? There's a, a flashes uh, of magic, maybe for maybe 10 minutes in, in, this, in the first half of games. But it's usually a second half performance, mostly from this U.S. team. And Clint says uh, verbatim, I can't put my finger on it exactly. And and that's the thing, though, too. If you're a top analyst on TV covering U.S. men's national team and Kate Abdo asks you that question and you don't know the answer, that's not a good look. You should know the answer or at least give an answer. Uh, and, and that I was disappointed with Dempsey, too. I mean, Dempsey's great as far as kind of um, saying things on camera, which are kind of funny, but you need somebody like we said last week you need like almost like an Eric Ronaldo or a Taylor Twellman to say here's exactly why what's going wrong so Kartik I'm sorry uh, to the to Fox's coverage uh, of the uh, US uh, Honduras game yeah I thought that uh, uh, we could we can definitely quibble about the studio right um I do think that John Strong and, and Stu Holden had a pretty pretty uh, strong – maybe that's the wrong term because we're talking about John Strong – a really good night in terms of uh, their, their call and analysis of, of the match, a real understanding of, 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 of the, the perspective on where, where the U.S. was at this point. I, I think uh, an understanding where Honduras was uh, also uh, eliminated from qualifying, so on and so forth. So I thought it was actually well done. Now, the studio you have to get around, right? This is – the, this is the dichotomy with Fox that we've talked about for however many years that uh, Strong and Holden, when left to their own devices, are pretty good, right? As a standalone product, they do a good job. But then the studio, you know, Lawless mixes some real, really good points. Like, like I said last week, I think he's more willing to take shots at the U.S., which people may not believe based on his uh, his persona, but he's actually more more apt to be critical, which um, which he was yesterday in the pregame. But then it was mixed with these wrestling references, and uh, maybe it's Rob Stone. Maybe it's he. Maybe you contrast him with Kate Abdul. Um, the way questions are asked, the, the way things are presented. Uh, if Kate Abdo were still at Fox giving and she were hosting the U.S. Uh, games, maybe you'd have a completely different uh, view of how this thing is going, right? Maybe it w- maybe the, uh, the answers would be different from Lawless. The presentation would be different and it would flow from there. But yeah, I, uh, I, I'm beginning to think it's actually Stone that's more of a problem. I think we've, we've talked about this maybe the last time they did a game also, last time they did a U.S. game. 
Yeah, I mean, anyone who's watched uh, Fox Soccer over the years and, and watched some of the stuff on social media know that Rob Stone and Alexi Lalas are best friends. They carpool together. You know, I mean, they're which is nothing wrong with that. That they're, they're great friends. But to me, it was it's almost as if um, Rob Stone has been watching wrestling too much because he's he's playing that role. He's playing the role of uh, Mean Gene Oakland. Uh, the the old WWF presenter, and then combine that with Alexi Lalas, who tries to be the Hulk Hogan of soccer, and he feeds off that energy, especially uh, on Wednesday night with that all male USA crowd behind him, and then you end up with a manufactured show that appeals to the lowest common denominator. There's nothing wrong with that, but in terms of coverage, it's so so different than ESPN's coverage and CBS's coverage. And and to be honest, too, I, I feel sorry for like Moadu, Stu Holden and John Strong, who are, who are attached to this carnival ride because they do good work. They do try to raise the level of discussion. And, and to me, at the end of the day, this is the biggest criticism I have about Alexi Lalas is I don't think that's the Alexi Lalas, the person that you see on TV. That's an act. That's some. If you met him, uh, kind of, you mean, I don't know, the day of the game in the hotel, just talking. He's not that type of character where he's kind of just all out, freaked out, just uh, USA, kind of like pumping through my veins type of thing. And I think it's Rob Stone that really <laughs> accentuates that. It gets gets the the worst. Alexi is an intelligent man. He's very professional. He does what he does for a reason to pro- provoke controversy. He loves when people hate him. He loves when people love him. Uh, he li- likes to be the center of attraction. But to me, I mean, Kartik, this is a huge glimpse at what USA's coverage, or Fox's coverage of the World Cup is going to be, which is going to be complete Americaniz- Americanization of soccer. It's going to be USA all the way. And it's it's obnoxious. I mean, I, I I'm American. You're American. We love America. We live in America. You mean, but that's I don't know, to me that that's not soccer. That that's entertainment. That's wrestling. That's 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 not soccer. That's not what I expect to see. Yeah, I agree. And and unfortunately, I think the presentation is that way from from the studio. Holden and Strong get a lot of criticism by people who don't like Fox, but I, I think they're if you take their match presentation uh, on its own, there is a lot more knowledge of the rest of CONCACAF and, and respect for the rest of CONCACAF uh, than, uh, than you get from the studio, right? There, there, there's more uh, understanding of kind of where, where this side is. I mean, I, I think in general, Holden's a more serious analyst right he, he he's got a more of a, a grasp of the world game than maybe a lot of the other people on american television so uh in just in general uh he, he he's a little more cosmopolitan than his his football preferences but yeah I, I i think that this is terrible and this is partly what has caused this false sense of expectation this false sense of oh my goodness the u.s has a golden generation they have the greatest players ever when again i think you're better off with a lot of dempsey's and mcbrides than you are with a a lot of uh, uh, Dess and Pulisic and Adams who are playing kind of peripheral roles at big clubs. McKinney, again, being the exception. Now, this all having been said, Weston McKinney is on a trajectory to be, if you combine club and country, 
in the top bracket of U.S. players ever, maybe at the very top. So uh, maybe I'm resorting to my own bit of hyperbole by saying that. But um, at the same time, as I say, we have to tamper down expectations for the rest of the guys. McKinney's trajectory and the way he's fought his way into that team at Juventus, the way they've now let Betancourt go, who, by the way, had a great week for uh, Uruguay under Diego Alonso, who turned things around in qualifying. Another story from the week. And uh, Aaron Ramsey's gone, too. Uh, That's a big story. That's a big win for Americans uh, in Europe. And so as much as I want to uh, kind of tap down the expectations for the rest of the side, I think McKinney has elevated his game. Club and country has matured since the incident in Nashville in September and the incident in Turin last March. And uh, yeah, so we can we, we can hype him, but the rest mm-hmm. of the team don't do it. Yeah, he's he's a leader. I mean, you can see it on the pitch in terms of how he's talking to his teammates and he's a difference maker too so whether for a club or country he's the type of guy that can change a game you mean by just one act of brilliance it can really make a difference going back to fox's coverage kartik uh the pre-match i don't think they spent one minute on honduras i i don't think there was maybe not even 30 seconds on honduras yeah and this is why strong and holden i think right in the first five or six minutes tried to kind of talk about honduras and talk about the manager who by the way is a manager who's led three previous nations to the world cup obviously honduras has been eliminated this time but he's managed colombia costa rica and panama in the world cup and led them through qualifying to the world cup so i feel like they maybe uh strong and holden felt like they had to overcompensate and talk about honduras a little maybe, bit, maybe because maybe. Uh, the, the the pregame had it right, which uh, is is a continuing problem. This is again why overall ESPN's presentation is better than the other other uh, um, networks. First off, you and I both know Taylor Twelman feels he has a responsibility to talk about the other team, right? He he's told us that. Um, he's told me that on multiple occasions. He has a responsibility to know the other side. Uh, the team that the U.S. is playing. And secondly, I think that there's a, a, a kind of gr- greater grounding in terms of where the U.S. is relative to the rest of CONCACAF on those ESPN shows. Maybe we don't get deep enough analysis from Jermaine Jones, as we talked about last week, but there's still an overall presentation that isn't as preachy and hypey as but, uh, on the other networks. But Kartik, I, I, I completely agree with you. However, I kind of think that CBS Sports his coverage of the Canada-US game went too far with trying to maintain that balance because they had Kaylin Kyle, one of the reporters, I mean, sideline reporters uh, there in Canada, as well as um, one of the sideline reporters for the US squad. So they had two sideline reporters and then Kaylin Kyle was focused on, on, on Canada. And, and yes, it's a, fan, and it's a fantastic story, uh, what John Herdman has done and what these players have done uh, in Canada. But it was very much, especially post post match, pro pro Canada, and I'm and I I, got, I was like, wait a second, this is a U.S. broadcast but, but, game. But Chris, the thing is with Canada, look, it's a, it's kind of an artificial political boundary for a lot of us. Americans and Canadians are basically the same people in many uh, ways. And uh, and having worked professionally in a U.S. based league, which had teams in Canada, which a lot of these people have worked in Major League Soccer or like me in the NASL or USL. It's different than if you're talking about El Salvador or Honduras or Mexico. Maybe that sounds very condescending. Maybe some people will interpret that as racist. I don't know. But there is a very different feeling that we have towards Canada. I've worked with uh, I've worked with some of the uh, people who work in the Canadian Soccer Federation, probably work close more closely with them than with the U.S. people. So I think that there is a different view we have of Canada. And and it's almost like a a family feud, like a, a brother's 
quarrel when we play them. And I, I had mentioned this years ago on Twitter when we played them in the Gold Cup, and there were a bunch of people, even the media, who agree with me. It's like, yeah, you know, we're, we all our institutions are linked, everything. So I think that that's probably why. I, uh, I, I mean, in I fact, just, Kaylin I, Kyle, I, I – I, was the press officer for a team who her husband plays for. So uh, I've got I, I've interacted with her. Yeah, but so. let me chime in here because I, I I disagree with you on this one. So I think it what part of the issue is that um, because team a, a league such as MLS and NASL uh, and probably others too have blurred the lines where Canada and, and the United States almost kind of feel like they're together in a, in a partnership. To me, still, it's a separate country, and if I'm if I'm an American, which I am, and I'm watching a broadcast, and I I want to have a balanced view in terms of hearing about Canada and how how well they're doing, and then hearing about the U.S. and areas of improvement, but I don't want to watch a Canadian broadcast or, or kind of a really really rah rah Canada, uh, even though that they won, which is a great story. I I still think there's a distinct difference, and and yes, there's a lot of. Um, similarities between uh, the U.S. and Canada, but Canada is very different. But, but those of us that have pride in our leagues, they have more of an MLS impact on their, on their yeah, national team than Yeah, but who has, pr- who has pride US- in the leagues? A lot of should- Americans do. I mean, I've, I've disagreed with it. I agree with you that they shouldn't. But we have talked about this time and again, Chris. So many American fans of soccer are MLS fans first. And they care about the league and the welfare of the league and promoting the league. And they're defensive about the league. Well, Canada has more MLS guys uh, than, than the U.S. does. They, this whole cycle, they've had more MLS guys and guys who came out of MLS contributing to their, to their story. So that's part of it. I mean, look, yeah. you and I don't agree with that point of view, but we have to acknowledge that point of view exists. It does so, exist, yeah. So that's why Canada is treated differently than Mexico, for instance, or, or Honduras or whoever. Yeah, I, I just I don't think it was a wise decision personally from CBS to go so deep. I, I mean, I realize that they have the CONCACAF rights and they want to tell the CONCACAF story and probably turn Canada into a feel-good story where uh, viewers in the United States are going to try, try to start watching more of the uh, Canada's games for the rest of the qualification. But I don't know. It just feels it doesn't that feel, helps it doesn't Fox, feel natural. That helps Fox also. And I have to say, uh, this may offend people, but I'm just reporting here. In the past, there have been a number of uh, a number of reporters who've covered uh, the U.S. and and covered the the, the Concacaf who've told me, you know, it would be great if we got another English speaking country uh, to represent Concacaf in the uh, in, in the World Cup. So Canada. Making the World Cup, I think, gives U.S. reporters and and MLS-centric reporters just another team to cover. It's great for them. It's great for kind of the media landscape in terms of the soccer media landscape. And again, Chris, you're probably right. The linkages, and I'm guilty of it too. In NASL, as I said, I probably work closer with the Canadian Federation. I know those guys who work there. I know the U.S. people had adversarial relationship with. I know the people at the Canadian clubs. I mean, they were the ones uh, – in fact, they were the ones who got, who helped me get the job in the first place were that really the Canadian clubs. So uh, I, we, those of us who worked around American soccer – maybe have a different perspective than the average fan about Canada when it comes down to it, or the average non-MLS, non-USL, NASL fan. But the linkages with Canada, sometimes we have to remind ourselves it's a different country. You're right, Chris. A lot of times I forget it. You know, I think of Toronto and Vancouver as, a, as American cities in a soccer sense. You know, I talk about what a great job uh, the Saputos do in Montreal and forget that it's a different country sometimes. 
Yeah, it, it is weird. <laughs> and, and maybe it's just me, but it, it's just weird with it being a different country. But but you're absolutely right, Kartik, on many of those po- points there, too. So the, the, let's uh, actually, uh, and in the news segment, we'll get to Canada, too. There's some news about Canada. But looking ahead to actually, before we look at the matches this weekend, um, transfer deadline day. Yeah, we, let's, let's not spend a ton of time on that. But but in terms of who had the best coverage and for the next transfer deadline day, What's your recommendation of, of where they should watch it? Yeah, Peacock was great um, with Sky all day. Uh, and, and in fact, um, Sky throughout the uh, transfer window has done a program called Good Morning Transfers, which you could uh, – uh, Good Morning Transfer Window, which you could watch behind a VPN if you have one. Or you could watch on YouTube uh, an hour or two later in the United States. It would be uploaded. So that was uh, a more serious program than you had a lot of times from Sky uh, in the past during transfer windows. And then transfer deadline day, uh, Peacock had them on from 9 to 7. So what was that? 10 hours. Uh, 10 hours. And then uh, obviously uh, uh, all the post shows that went on. They were really good. And I think what's happened is Sky, which you and I have complained about in the past on this program and the predecessor programs, they have transitioned out a lot of their older um, – Presenters, and we've talked about that uh, uh, in, 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 in on various podcasts. They brought in a new new cast of analysts, and I think they recently retired players: Anton Ferdinand, Shea Given, Chris Boyd, Wes Morgan, among others. Uh, Clinton Morrison was another one. Really, really good. Gave a different perspective, some different analysis. There seemed to be more of an emphasis on what might be happening on the continent this time uh, from Sky's coverage than in the past. So, uh, if guys were going from from potentially from Italy to Spain or France to France to Spain, there was more coverage of that than in the past, uh, or uh, transfers in and out of Germany using the resources of Sky Italia and Sky Deutschland, which they haven't necessarily done on their programming before. And then I just thought that maybe they got lucky in that there were so many transfers. This felt like an August deadline day, or in fact, it maybe felt like an August deadline day on steroids. Whatever the case, uh, COVID uh, spending restrictions being lifted. Uh, uh, Newcastle money, all of that stuff. Uh, this was an epic transfer deadline day, and uh, it seemed like everybody was making moves, and there was a lot to talk about. Uh, in addition to new managers coming in, right, Frank Lampard and, and, and Roy Hodgson in the Premier mm-hmm. League. So, really, really good coverage. And I was worn out. So, truthfully, I um, I got up at about five thirty a.m. on uh, on Monday so that I could follow what was going on uh, uh, in Europe and. Wrapped up my day with a Twitter space that ended at around 10 p.m. So I uh, I was wiped out. Tuesday was just a, 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 a nothing day for me because I was so worn out by transfer deadline day. And that's, again, like it used to be 2008, 2009. It hasn't been like that for years. So uh, Sky has raised their game, and, and I recommend Sky via Peacock next time. Although one quick thing, NBC not having their own show this time was a little bit strange, and I don't know if that's because they're in Olympic mode. Uh, could that be the reason, or is it is this now uh, a knock-on effect of NBCSN being shut down? They're not going to dedicate two hours or three hours on a Monday afternoon like they did in previous windows when they shut to assess yep. the window. I think it's a, it's a combination of things. So so one is that the, the studio in Stamford. Uh, was set up for the Winter Olympics. So um, even though the transfer deadline day happened what, a few days before the Winter Olympics started, but the, the studio was kind of in, in Winter Olympics mode. So that's the first thing. The, the second thing is in terms of timing. So with um, 
the Premier League uh, on a break, right? There's no games. So you would have had to fly in Rebecca Lowe and the two Robbies and Danny Higginbotham and bring them in specifically just to do the Transfer Deadline Day recap show. So so a couple of kind of um, wrinkles there. But, but to me, I think at the end of the day, you mean to me having access to Sky Sports News and with their improved coverage is probably even better, yeah, definitely better than what NBC would have done on just a recap show. If you like recap shows, then then NBC would have been a good place to go to. Or like you said, to Kartik, there's definitely um, uh, uh, YouTube uh, to watch things like that that too. For me personally, I watched um, Fabrizio Rap- Romano's uh, Twitch stream again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and and that was good. That was really good. It was kind of a day-long content with him talking through all the transfers. Um, there were some boring parts at times, but for the most part, that was kind of, to me, to go straight to the source. Because uh, oftentimes he would break stories before Sky Sports News would break stories. Um, so just to be on, on, on kind of the cutting edge as far as when things were happening, that, that, that was my chosen destination for, for yep. one day. The other thing I found is doing a Twitter space on Monday night, uh, which ended up lasting two hours or more, there is more passion around transfers than there are around games with people who are who are uh, listening to the to the and a lot some of it was the US Canada knock on effect and talking about that. But there seems to be more passion about transfer windows and money and spending and, and uh where clubs stand vis a vis transfers and sometimes where they stand vis a vis results and, and, and individual match performances, which I guess is just an evolution, right? That's been happening over the course of 10 or 15 years but definitely more passion and more interest in my space this week than I do every week because we were talking transfers than talking about actual games um, which I, I think is now becoming regular for everybody so pretty soon we're going to have to get a uh, advertising or sponsorship from Twitter Spaces, uh, Kartik. Yeah, yeah, right. right. We're, we're talking them up too much, but transfer windows shut, so maybe we won't have another big Twitter space until August 31st, right, when the, that, that transfer window closes. <laughs> right. All right, so let's look ahead to this weekend's uh, matches to watch. Uh, what's your recommendation? Yeah, I'm, I've got one and then a bonus pick. I'm going. For, there were a lot to choose from this week, and I know you chose one of those matches. Uh, ma- big matches in the Bundesliga, big matches in Italy, big matches in Spain. But Forest Leicester, 11 a.m. Sunday, uh, uh, Eastern Time on ESPN Plus. I picked because I think this is a a historic derby, uh, a special occasion when these two sides play. There's been a division between them now for. Uh, eight years uh, when uh, when the last time they were in a division together, we thought of Leicester as a historic underachiever and Forrest as a two-time European champion. Now we're thinking of Leicester as a team that's in Europe a lot, uh, that's won a Premier League title, that's won an FA Cup recently. So uh, the tables have kind of turned, but Steve Cooper's got Forrest uh, until this past game last week playing really, really good football, playing well. So I recommend this one. My bonus is the City-Chelsea women's match, which is on CNBC Bright and early 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time Sunday. Chelsea under Emma Hayes uh, pursuing another league title. Man City, who have won the league a couple times, now on a run, unbeaten in five, and within uh, five points of Chelsea for second place and for that second spot in the Champions League, uh, which uh, City was eliminated from at the qualifying stages this past year. They finished second. Uh, This title went down to these two teams, decided on the final day last season. Manchester City started poorly this year, but now closing. So that's a, a bonus pick uh, on CNBC. So, uh, and real quickly, Chris, CNBC showing some WSL matches the next few weeks. I think they're, they're, they're writing out their contract with WSL, which of course goes to CBS and it's Paramount Plus next year by showing matches on CNBC rather than USA, or maybe it's an Olympic thing also. 
yeah, I think it's the Olympics thing too again on on that one. But um, but going back to the Forest Leicester game, I mean, the player to watch out for. My recommendation, the player to watch out for, is Brennan Johnson, yeah. who's a twenty-year-old uh, uh, kind of British attacking midfielder, and and definitely within the next couple of years, if he's not in the Premier League with Nottingham Forest, he's going to be scooped up by one of the, the top teams. I thought he might be sold on uh, Monday, actually. So that's a good good that Forest held on to him, and I think if they don't get promoted, he'll be gone in the summer. So my pick to watch this weekend is the Milan Derby, um, 12 uh, Eastern time on uh, Saturday, which is going to be on CBS Sports Network and Paramount+. Plus. This one, it's first against third. I mean, the Serie A title race uh, for the last couple of years now has been the best title race to watch in Europe. Um, top level teams and of course when it becomes the derby that's extra special this one's extra extra special because uh, cbs is sending their entire crew and commentators uh, to the san siro so you're going to have poppy miller uh, mike grella uh, matteo bonetti uh, andres codero and others uh, on on site there in milan and this is going to be just an amazing match to watch um, with this weekend being FA Cup weekend too, and lots of games on there too, for uh, fans of uh, British football, this is a, fa- a fantastic diversion, the Milan derby on Saturday. All right, Kartik, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. Yeah, uh, before we get to this news item, I'll, I'll preface it by saying I got an email from the inn yesterday urging me to watch uh, the semifinals of the AFCON uh, after Senegal had beaten Burkina Faso advertising that game. So uh, <laughs> that's, uh, uh, that's kind of par for the course from the inn. So continuing on into our news item, uh, Sunday's Africa Cup of Nations final and third place matches will be shown across BN Extra and BN Sports Connect and will not be available on US TV. And uh, so that's kind of par for the course from what we've gotten from BN for this entire tournament. Yeah, the games that they're showing instead, it's um, I think the the third place game is on the same time as a Turkish league game with uh, Besiktas, and then the the game, the actual final, um, Senegal against um, well either Egypt or, or Cameroon is going to be at the same time as PSG's game, and PSG with uh, owners from Qatar, uh, who Qatar owns B in Sports, so. It's unfortunate, really, because at the end of the day, this, for mo- for the most part, has been a good tournament. It started off slowly, but the coverage has just been... I mean, if, if there was any indication of just how how messed up being sports is in terms of just, uh, just, the, just the, the way that they cover soccer, and, you mean, it's just a, a complete disaster... Um, and in most of the games, a lot of the, a lot of the games on on the weekends, almost every game on the weekends have been on BN Sports Extra, which has live commercials. I mean, commercials during the actual live game, which is, you I mean, rule number one of soccer coverage: don't show commercials during during the games. Wait till pre match, halftime, whatever. All right, <clears throat> moving on. Uh, speaking of Canada from earlier, uh, Fubo TV has grabbed the rights to the FIFA World Cup. Uh, FIFA Club World Cup, uh, sorry, FIFA Club World Cup in Canada. So that means now that uh, Fubo TV has the rights to the um, the Premier League, which begins uh, next season. Uh, they also have the rights to Serie A, Coppa Italia, and now the FIFA Club World Cup, and that's uh, for for Canada. So if you're listening and you're uh, kind of north of uh, the border, uh, definitely Fubo is the place to go. 
And, and speaking of streaming, Kartik, this is something that uh, is uh, a, a huge heads up for our listeners. Because of the Winter Olympics and uh, because NBCSN is no longer um, a channel any, anymore, and USA Network is going to be covering uh, Winter Olympics basically 24-7, seven days a week. And so if you want to watch Premier League matches and they start back up again February 12th, and go through till the 20th when the Winter Olympics uh, ends. So for about, for about, um, about a week or so, just a little bit of a week, uh, it looks like every game is going to be on Peacock, unless it's a Saturday 12.30 Eastern time kickoff, yes. yeah. and that game will be on NBC, Peacock, and usually Universo. Um, but some of the Sunday games are going to be on Telemundo, but not on English-language television. English-language is going to be on, on Peacock. So if you haven't subscribed to Peacock yet and you've been thinking about it and if you're a fan of any any of the clubs in the Premier League, um, now is the time to do it because otherwise you're going to miss out on, on a ton of uh, matches in, in a key point in the season. Yeah, so you have two, uh, three midweek fixtures this coming week on USA. After that, USA is on Olympics 24-7, it looks like, from uh, the program guides, from uh, from the schedules until uh, for the next two Premier League weekends after that. There's no matches on USA whatsoever. It's all Olympics on USA. And as I said... They're using CNBC during that period to show WSL matches, actually uh, one each weekend, but no Premier League matches. So, uh, yeah, it's Peacock for the Premier League. That's yeah. it. Yeah, and Peacock's also picked up uh, Six Nations Rugby. So it used to be on NBC Sports Gold, but now that's um, live and exclusive to um, Peacock. I think I think actually some of the games that, – that's interesting you mentioned about CNBC because CNBC is showing some rugby um, some of it, some of them are uh, on demand. I mean, basically, kind of on replay, uh, rerun. Um, but there's even other leagues too that they show. So CNBC, for whatever reason, seems to be right now kind of the the overflow network. But with uh, NBC's coverage of the Premier League, if it doesn't go in the USA, the overflow network in quotation marks really is Peacock. Peacock is is going to be uh, showing a lot of these games, and like you said too, a lot of midweek games too. Even um, Manchester United against Brighton, one of their makeup games that they're making up, uh, I think February fifteenth, is um, is actually happening on the same at the same time as a Champions League uh, game for for the uh, the knockout stage. So, yeah, a lot of games come coming up, and uh, a lot of them on Peacock. Let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, first up is Chris, and this is in regards to last week about Neymar. Uh, he says, when it comes to Neymar. The documentary on Netflix, I agree with Chris that it is a PR piece put out there by Neymar, his dad, and by Puma to try to make him look good and deflect the controversy that has surrounded him throughout his career. Hopefully a uh, ESPN 30 for 30 um, can be done about similar to how they did it for the late uh, George Best um, once Neymar retires, that we can hear from others what they really think about him and his career. I wanted to ask you about uh, ask you both about the future of soccer on the radio. My question is, with the game moving to streaming platforms, do you see a future in which radio still plays a role in soccer coverage? Kartik, I'll take this one. And actually, it's 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 strange because it's it's a little bit weird because you would think that with streaming taking full effect, that radio would be downplayed, that radio wouldn't be as um, as useful as it used to be. If anything, I think it's actually probably more useful. Reason being is that 
between streaming, I mean, if you if, if you stream, you know, say the Premier League is one example, right? The best example we can think of uh, when it comes to radio is if you subscribe to, say, Peacock and you get all those games, there's definitely going to be some games that are going to be on um, uh, USA Network uh, that you don't have access to through Peacock. But pretty much, usually, you can get those games through radio. So you can listen to Talk Sport Radio um, or BBC World Service, and you can listen to radio commentary of those games to fill in the gaps uh, where you can still be a cord cutter, not need cable or satellite, and have a streaming plus radio combination and be able to actually experience all the games. A, a couple more things to add to that, too. Um, I, I mean, when I'm traveling, when I'm on the road and I'm driving... To me, listening to radio commentary is fantastic. You mean listening to the games? And a couple of weeks ago, I think it was actually Clive Tildesley is now doing Premier League uh, commentaries for Talk Sport Radio. He did the the Southampton Man City game, and and you mean he's one of the best commentators, and he makes the game come alive, really descriptive. And I, I think radio actually has a very bright future, um, especially when it comes to soccer commentaries. All right, next up is U.S. men's national team analysis. We've got a lot of feedback about USA, and this first one is from Anonymous. And he or she says, an interesting comment about uh, among those on the lack of English coverage on linear TV of the Canada against USA game and the scheduling of the match. The question was posed as to how much influence does the U.S. have with CONCACAF? A most interesting question. You correctly answered one would not want to schedule against the AFC and NFC championships and with and with hindsight, two amazing games. But, for example, the Farmers Insurance Golf Tournament was played Wednesday to Saturday, unlike every other PGA tournament, Thursday to Sunday. Did none of the current U.S. members of CONCACAF raise the possibility of changing the schedule day and time? Surely uh, Don Garber said something. Doesn't he have any clout with uh, clout these days? Or perhaps did no one really uh, bother, as they probably thought it was a done deal with the match, and the U.S. would come out victorious, so why bother? This would not have happened in Cl- uh, Chuck Blazer's time. Kartik, what, what do you think about that, as far as kind of the, the um, whether the U.S. Soccer Federation could have applied more pressure to, to reschedule this game to a time where more Americans could have watched uh, Canada against USA? I, I don't know about that because I, I think the issue is this three-match three window. Um, yes, in, it, it's true. In Chuck Blazer's time, there would have been uh, strategic scheduling, and I think there would be now, too, honestly, because uh, uh, obviously uh, Montagliani is running CONCACAF, and he, he's Canadian. But because you have this three matches forced into one international window you had to go thursday sunday wednesday there was really no way around it you couldn't move this game to saturday then play a game earlier on wednesday uh, play have the u.s and canada play their matches on wednesday to allow for proper rest because then that throws off the imbalance between the, their opponents uh who would have been el salvador for the u.s and canada played uh who did canada play panama and, and no um 
Well, anyway, they, uh, they it would have thrown off that, that the, the, the timing of that, and you wouldn't have gotten your players released in time to have camp and then play on a Wednesday. Right. This is why uh, they were never traditionally. So even before we went to Friday, th- uh, th- Tuesday and, and, and started mixing up the dates, when there used to be international breaks, which were Saturday, Wednesday, you would give a full week uh, until that first match or, or six days, five days, because uh, player releases take place at a certain hour. And those guys don't necessarily arrive, particularly when you're talking about CONCACAF. So a lot of the players are coming from Europe. Uh, they don't arrive till Monday night, Tuesday morning. So you can't have a game Wednesday. So that's why. I think uh, they would have liked to have avoided it like the PGA Tour did. But uh, it's, it's impossible to avoid it given um, the three matches in one window. So Dave says, I agree, coverage of the U.S. men's national team would benefit from more critical thinking, not criticism for its own sake, which is just as off-putting. U.S. men's national team are getting the the needed results in sharp contrast to last cycle. I hope even the biggest cheerleaders could acknowledge the meaningful flaws in this cycle's U.S. men's national team performances, which may serve as a worrying omen. Yukon says you can criticize soccer YouTube all you like for under or overrating players, but it's not them bringing in Pulisic or not calling up Sargent. Burhalter owns that. Raymond says, Kartik, I would like uh, to say that I think you do a phenomenal job of your analysis of the U.S. men's national team. I have listened to your post-game shows and other podcasts for years, as well as listening listening to your analysis on this show. Here's um, There's very little I uh, disagree with you on when it comes to U.S. soccer and its policy. There's been some controversy about where the U.S. men's national team will play their home games. These decisions uh, to play these games in northern states, particularly in the Rust Belt of America, denies us an an iconic soccer stadium. When I talked to U.S. men's national team fans over the years, and they would refer to Columbus Crew Stadium as their Azteca, it's almost laughable. Azteca is one of the most iconic soccer stadiums in the world and the top three in most people's list. Is a major metropolitan city in America ever going to be able to host World Cup qualification games again? The decision to play these games where they play, in my opinion, hurts relationships within communities. Lots of countries have similar situations when Germany plays uh, Turkey in Germany and England plays Scotland at Wembley. I've been to several U.S. men's national team home uh, qualify games and I have never seen designated away sections for the traveling fans like there is in Europe. I think it just takes away from the atmosphere at times. Some good feedback there from Raymond. Um, What do you think, Kartik? I I tend to agree. I mean, I don't think that we, because of the size of this nation, can have a dedicated national stadium the way Mexico does or or England does. But we're in a position, I think, where you're dealing with a situation where – you have uh, you're, you're you're kind of cutting off the large metropolitan areas, the larger populations of, of, of the, the more, more highly populated cities from the national team and from critical national team matches. You might play friendlies there, but you're not playing qualifiers there. I remember the reaction in U.S. soccer after the U.S. played Honduras, the same match uh, that happened yesterday in Chicago, and half the crowd were Honduran fans or more, right at Soldier Field. So I, I think they they crossed Chicago off their list. Then, then they crossed New York off their list after the Costa Rica game a few years later. Miami and Los Angeles have always been non-starters for the same reasons. So, yeah, I think it's it's a very damaging thing. 
And your point about Germany versus Turkey is very well taken. There's no way, way you could have a German Germany game against Turkey without a lot of Turkish fans. And it's not just uh, England-Scotland. I, I would say when England played Poland at Wembley once, there were tons of Polish fans. Uh, and, and I think the, the cosmopolitan nature of London lends itself to there being those communities. Same thing with Canada, right? When they play anyone in Toronto, there is a risk, uh, which is why I don't necessarily like that they move the Mexico game to uh, – to Edmonton, right? That was very similar to what the U.S. has done. Um, so if they had played Mexico and Toronto, there probably would have been more Mexican fans, but it would have been uh, they would have been more connected with their uh, their national league. That having been said, they played the U.S. in Hamilton, which is really close to the U.S. border. So uh, that kind of refutes that. But I, I totally agree. I think it's a situation which has gotten more heated in recent years, Chris, where uh, fans are like, oh, it's because of some, they're trying to make money, don't put games in New York, don't put games in Los Angeles, don't put games in Chicago, Miami, Washington, right, Boston, the more, the more metropolitan cities. Uh, but that's actually, I think, creating a situation where fans in the big cities feel more distant from the national team than in a lot of these places like Columbus and Kansas City and Cincinnati that are hosting games. So, uh, I think it's a problem, and it might explain some of the drift away from the national team and some of the TV ratings going down in addition to performance. I think this is a very valid point Raymond makes. Yeah, I, I agree too, Kartik, in terms of um, where the U.S. plays their games. They shouldn't be trying to run around the country trying to find locations where they know it'll be just a mostly U.S. fan base and, and it won't be an area where fans will, in large quantities of away fans, will travel to. I think, to me... It's uh, it would be better for the U.S. to say, hey, we're proud of our, our team. We're proud of our country. We will play wherever we want to play, even if the atmosphere ends up being kind of, you mean, whether it's 50 50 uh, between away fans and home fans. But I mean, when was the last time the U.S. played a game in Miami? I, I think it's probably been, what, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Well, I mean, what a, what a, a, a friendly or a qualifier. I mean, they played friendlies recently in South Florida, but they have not played a well, no, qualifier. Like, like a meaningf- meaning, meaningful game. Oh, it's been at least 20 years. It's been 30. It's been 25 or 30 years. They, yeah. they won't play qualifiers in Miami. And again, I made the same point about L.A. They won't play qualifiers there anymore. Uh, Chicago, I was in on one of the discussions where they decided they didn't want to go to Chicago anymore because of, of a match against Honduras. And uh, New York, we know that that's the New York, New Jersey's out after the uh, Costa Rica game last time. So, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. Yeah. And Miami's got one of the best soccer stadiums in the country with uh the uh, Hard Rock Stadium, which is you mean fantastic, has hosted uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid. Um, I mean, it's not just Miami, but you look at other cities too; they've been left out. And uh, yeah, no, I think it's about time that things change, and it's about time that um, I mean, U.S. fans embrace it and just you mean go there in numbers, buy the tickets, and, and support the team. Last but not least, uh, Mercator uh, talks about the MLS uh, TV rights deal for this year. And Mercator says, I think MLS will get more than $150 million uh, a year. It's basically an auction process. And when every streaming company plans to spend X billion on content, leagues will get more than their viewership would seem to justify. La Liga and the Premier League are overvalued based on the viewers they bring. MLS will be as well. I would rather sell a mediocre product in a good market than a great product in a, bar- in a bad market. And MLS is selling in a great market. Good points there. I mean, it, it is point, ti- yeah. timing is everything. And uh, the more and more we analyze the situation, the more and more likely it looks like that uh, Warner Media 
is is going to make a big push for MLS rights. And the, the the big question, though, really then is like, who's the other big heavyweight that's going to be competing with them? Is it is it going to be Apple TV? Is it going to be Amazon? Um, and that's the question mark because without a big competitor who's willing to get into a bidding war, then then those rights are not going to go up to as much as what uh, MLS wants them to be. So. So, yeah, and we'll, then we don't know that uh, if, if that bidding takes place, that Fox and ESPN are going to want to retain, right? So if, if right. Uh, I, I think it could very well be Warner Media and Apple or Warner Media. I don't think it, probably not Apple. Warner Media and Amazon. It could very well be that. And speaking of Warner Media, Chris, I actually am already hearing rumors through the grapevine, same grapevine urine, the, uh, of actual personalities, uh, hires, names. Uh, 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 on-air personalities that Warner would hire uh, for MLS. So I think there's a, a greater acceptance in kind of the greater soccer community that that uh, Turner and Warner Media is going to get a piece of MLS. Yeah, and that's the thing, though, too, because if the deal is done before the end of March and um, the rights will start up again in 2023, early 2023, so you have roughly about nine months to get your act together to go ahead and hire the talent, uh, get everything situated. You mean, and, and get a studio, and you mean, get everything ready for broadcast. And that's the thing, though, too. I think um, whenever this major rights deals, there's more of a likelihood that talent may move. So, um, a lot of the U.S. soccer media talent people. So, whether you're a, a commentator or a co-commentator or, or an analyst, oftentimes your contracts line up with the TV deals. So, like, for example, NBC Sports, NBC Sports, the two Robbies and and, uh, and other talent that was on with NBC, uh, their contracts ended right about the time that the, the Premier League deal ended, too. Now, by NBC Sports renewing that deal with the Premier League, they went ahead, I'm sure, and then uh, uh, renewed those deals. So, so if there is a big change, if there is a big change to Warner Media, it could mean that we see a bunch of talent um, from Fox uh, or ESPN, or possibly CBS. Probably le- less so CBS because they're relatively new. But from ESPN and Fox, talent shifts and, and moves diff- to different places. But I'm, I'm sure we'll be covering this in more detail um, as we get closer to this next MLS TV deal announcement. But that's the other thing, too, going back to what we said in the very beginning of this broadcast. It's a big, huge sigh of relief for Fox Sports, knowing that the U.S. now has a better chance of qualifying for the World Cup. It's a big, huge sigh of relief for U.S. soccer, knowing that the U.S. rights deal this year should be a little bit more rosier. But it's also a big, optimistic sigh of relief, then, too, for Major League Soccer, because they know that in order for the league to grow in this country it's important that the u.s men's national team does well too in many ways they are joined at the hip even if the, the next tv deal is uh, uncoupled all right if you got something you'd like to ask us uh, we'd love to read your comment out on air you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on twitter at worldsoccertalk plus of course you can always post your comments on the podcast thread on the homepage of worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik heading into another weekend. Um, international break is over. Club football returns. Lots of games to look forward to. Uh, what should you do and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.